We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a get a chance to read Jean-Paul Sartre's iconic masterpiece, No Exit in University? Have no fear, just put on the replay of Arsenal-Liverpool and you'll get the gist. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner, and that is the single most erudite introduction I have ever done. Reference to French existential play, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre's No Exit, uh, where other people are hell. And I think it is fair to say that the other people on the pitch did make life hell for Arsenal at the weekend, and we will break that down. There's so much to tell you about. Can we do the housekeeping? Let's do housekeeping, I have never said to my wife. Um, so, here's the housekeeping. First of all, we've got some Patreon stuff. Tomorrow, Tuesday, we'll be doing a first half rewatch. Clive and I will sit down, bring up the video, we'll tell you minute by minute where we are so you can follow along and really get granular and call out what we see happening. Because even though it may not have been the most fun game, an interesting tactical game to break down, and we'll do some of that today, of course, as well. So you get a little of that, no problem. Wednesday, it's the Schadenfreude pod, our chance to dive into the struggles, the trials and tribulations of Spurs, of United, of teams that had hilariously shit weekends, even worse than ours. So we'll be doing that. There will be a North London Derby preview for everyone later on this week. And here's something fun. Have you thought about signing up for The Athletic? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Maybe you're like, no, I don't want that. If you don't want that, just close the earballs just for a second. But if you do want that, if you go to theathletic.com forward slash, this is important, Arsenal Vision, you get it for two fifty a month. The first month's free, but you get it for two fifty a month. Two fifty a month. I mean that that's pretty good. And you can read James Gunnerblog. You can read uh, Ornstein, Amy Lawrence, all these great people. I will tell you this much though. Um, you'll learn more about this coming up in the ad break. We'll we'll talk about it. But I do just want to say this: uh, we are really thrilled to have this opportunity to partner with them. 
because what we are going to get in return is access to their journalists. Uh, they have been kind enough to say that if we help support them on the pod, uh, they will help support us. And so some of the great journalists, like the ones I just mentioned, will come on the pod and talk to us about things they're writing or things they've discovered. So we're really, really excited about that and think it will only serve to improve the pod, our access to some really excellent writers and journalists who are well-placed to source some really interesting information. So hopefully that will be something that you look forward to. And it will help us if you do go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision and sign up that way uh, and get it for $250 a month. So if you don't want it and it doesn't interest you, no big deal. You'll just get the benefit of hearing great journalists on the pod from time to time. But if you do want it and you use that link, it helps us and we appreciate that. And I am long overdue for introducing Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter. Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Let's get ready to rumble. This is going to be a big argument. Can't wait to have it. But actually, I don't think so because I did the smart thing and I watched the first half a second time. And I think I have. Yeah, I know, Paul. You're right. You're always right. I think I have a slightly more sanguine view. Nuanced. Nuanced is a better word. I went for the wrong word. I did my erudite thing at the intro. But yeah, so there's. There's a lot to dive into here. <clears throat> uh, we can laugh at, at United and 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 uh, Spurs a little bit, maybe a little bit later. But let's start with this, Clive. Um, first of all, I want to be clear about something, right? You can be annoyed about how we played and the results of the game and still think that we were going to lose no matter what we did, right? I think it is possible to hold two conflicting opinions in your mind, and I predicted a 3-1 loss on the preview pod, as you know. I also said I thought we would play well, and and I think that you could argue we did play well, and we'll, we'll get into that in a moment, but I just want to be clear that if you are not confident in Emery, if you think Emery needs to go, if you love Emery, whatever the thing is, I don't think it's because we lost or how we played at Liverpool. It's just another data point along the way. We are still learning about this manager and what he wants to do. And he had a very clear plan for this game, I think, the more I look at it. So first things first, with respect to the lineup, he did start Pepe. Paul, I'll get to you on that in a moment. <laughs> um, but he, he picked this diamond in midfield that didn't whine. It kind of got squished. It stopped being a diamond after a while. And Lewis Ambrose did a really cool tactical piece on our blog that you should read about what happened to midfield getting flattened out. But I just want to get your quick thoughts on the group that he selected. And if, before the game kicked off, you had any feeling one way or the other about the group he picked. Okay, so full disclosure, this game, I didn't have the emotional turmoil that many of you listeners would have had because I had a game myself. I didn't get to see the game until 2-0. So it was over by then. So I could look at it cold. I rewatched it. And so I've been cold the whole way. So I've been pretty calm. So in the preview pod, which I think you know, I thought it was really good fun. I thought it was really good. And it, and it pulled out a couple of issues, right? Obviously about Pepe, but it also pulled out about shape. We all had this slight disagreement on shape. And I sort of went from, we're going to start with a diamond to why don't we just match them up? All right. So, and the reason why I said diamond, I literally, you got to think, what are the data points that made him go for a diamond? Well, the last time we played at Anfield, Firmino just absolutely killed us. We more or less played a 4-2-3-1, which ended up being a a 4-4-1-1. And in the middle, we just didn't have enough cover. Uh, we had Aaron Ramsey in the middle, we had Torreira, and we had Shaka. And basically, they just ran through our middle numerous occasions, and Firmino had a game of his life. And so that's a data point that Emery's going to, resp- he's going to respond to. 
So for me, he was always going to block up the middle. He had two choices, block up the middle or match him up man for man. And we weren't too sure. He went for block up the middle. I get it. So what what do Man City do exactly the same when they play uh, Liverpool? They drop deep in a deep block, no spacing behind, block up the middle with the number eights, and they roll their wide people in and make sure they crowd their area to make sure Liverpool can't flood through. Right? Spurs did the same thing at Wembley last year. Four, four diamond two. Their fullbacks were too high. Liverpool got in behind them and caused some problem. We didn't have our fullbacks high. So what I'm trying to say is the logic of the diamond, I absolutely understand. You cannot give Liverpool that midfield space. You cannot give them the space behind your centre-backs. That's what he was trying to fix. And then he said, well, you know what? I've got two quick forwards up top. I'll put a connector in behind them and see if I can create something on the transition. I don't think that's too bad. I can see the logic there. But for me, if there was an error, and this is what I haven't seen yet from any, I haven't seen too many previews or reviews. If there was an error, I think it was probably the components within a diamond. Now, when you have a diamond, the trick is you have the ability to contract and then spread out really, really quickly, right? And so on the outside tips of your diamond, you've got to have people that are happy to go in to out and travel. Good athletes are happy in wide areas, right? And so on one side, we had Gwendouzi. Gwendouzi is a metronomic runner that likes to run after the ball. He's not somebody who wants to travel in to out consistently, tracking a speedy fullback. So right player on the pitch, he's earned his minutes, Wrong position, wrong role, right? A player like Mkhitaryan or a player like Reese Nelson is far more suited to that role. In to out, sprint out, add, sit there like an auxiliary fullback, right? Then come back in again to block the middle. You've got to be a good athlete. Joe Willett did a better job of doing that foreign job. Why? He's just a better runner. Simple as that. The player in behind Shaka. That's his role. You'll see everything in front of him. And we didn't really get a lot from the, the guy at the tip of the diamond in Sabias. None of us predicted that. First time away from home. Have we got another home player, home ground player? Not too sure yet. Don't want to write him off because we were building statues for him last week. So here we go. So we, we didn't quite can expand as quickly as we want. So when you have the diamond, the first thing that good teams do is they say, okay, you're giving me the outside. Let me switch play. And Liverpool have the ability to switch play. And so your ability to travel as the ball is travelling is absolutely key to holding this shape together. And I just felt we got tired. So if I was to criticise, and it's a little bit of hindsight, maybe the tips of the diamond were the wrong players on the outside and the tip at the top, in pure hindsight, because every one of us picks a bias in our team. So in pure hindsight... You know, I could, I would, I could have easily seen a Mkhitaryan. I could have easily seen a Torreira play. I could easily see a Joe Willock play, and they are probably more suited to a diamond formation with their energy and tenacity. But that is a pure hindsight pick. So that was the only thing for me. And potentially, Elliot, once you got to one nil, what do you do then? Do I now say at half time, okay, well, plan B, or do I give it 10 minutes and we go from there? So that's what I saw. I could see the logic. I have to see the logic. And if I look at it in context, 
I cannot say in the first half it failed because when I rewatched it, I did not see a lot of trauma in that team. I just saw switches of plays, lots of big crosses, lots of good clearances. And I didn't say we controlled it, but we were, we were, we were there. We were present. We were in the game and we were creating them problems as well as having problems created against us. That's what I saw in the first half. Yeah. I mean, football matches can be told as stories and and they can be told as tactical battles, but they can be told as stories. And I, I think you could definitely say that the story of this game was the errors we made that cost us the the plan. I mean, David Luiz, I thought, was excellent in the first half. And lost the game for us in the second half. The story of the game are, are the Louis errors in the second half. Because at that point, the game is dead. But it, it's also about, you know, your tactics are only as good as whether the other team does what you're expecting. And Paul, one of the things that I'm curious about, we came out with the diamond. I don't think it was a diamond for very long. Maybe 10 minutes at the most. Do you think, and, and I'll talk a little bit about what I saw in rewatching tactically and had a really interesting conversation with Louis Ambrose in the Discord about whether it was a change of our tactics or if Liverpool forced us into positions we didn't want to play in. Um, we can come to that in a moment. But I'm, what I want to get from you, Paul, is do you think the intensity of their press surprised us? If you look at the statistics, Liverpool were a pretty low-pressing team last season, and they've been a very low-pressing team this season. And in the Super Cup against Chelsea, which admittedly is sort of a glorified friendly, they did not press at all in the first half. And I wonder if the setup we came out with was intended to give us a chance to counter, but also to be able to... Pr- uh, possess the ball a little more and com- contest the midfield a little more against a Liverpool team that had been playing a high line and a lot more possession. So do you think that we were caught off guard by the fact that this was old school Gegen pressing, you know, rock and uh, metal, whatever he calls it, football, uh, of, heavy, of metal. heavy metal football, the Dortmund era, more than the Liverpool we've seen from the last 18 months? So uh, I was trying to find an opportunity to address this on the last pod but it didn't really come i don't you were too buy... busy shitting on pepe yeah uh, you, you know you gotta take your choice which toilet you're going to dump in and i picked, <laughs> dumped in the pepe one unfortunately um, moving on <laughs> but i don't buy that liverpool have stopped being a pressing team and i think you can throw away the first few matches of of the season because big teams with a long view of the season tend to start a little slower. I wasn't shocked. And the idea that we would rock up to Anfield and they'd let us play, um, I I couldn't see that happen, especially if uh, Emery had the balls, and I would say it was balls, to continue to play out uh, daringly, naively, suicidally, uh, but bravely from the back. Because if we want to say there's no such thing as as Emery Ball or he doesn't have an identity, I think you can push back on a couple of things. And one of the things this season, he abandoned it at some point last season when he decided it wasn't going to work. And maybe that'll happen again this season. But that was tremendously ballsy to play out against that front three from the back. And he stuck with it. So uh, I think if we were shocked by the pressing, it was only, uh, you know, everybody has a plan until you're punched in the face. And I think we expected them to press. And anybody, uh, I know you say the stats didn't show it as, as them being a pressing team last year, but that depends whose stats you're looking at. Uh, Statsbomb did a preview 
of Liverpool for this season. And their summary of last season was the talk of them not being a pressing team would not be correct. They basically pressed right up there with hmm. with City. So it, I think it depends on how you measure it. Here's what you can say. They're, when they decide to be, they're a really good pressing team that Emery didn't think they'd press us if we were playing the ball from um, Leno uh, horizontally to our two centre-backs who were sitting inside the box who were going to play it up. You know, it wasn't going to take them more than three, four minutes before they realised what we were doing. So we must have known that we were going to have the, the shit pressed out of us. And the idea that they play a hide line, so that means they won't be pressing, I don't quite get that. That seems like a signal that they're they're in position to press even harder. Um, a couple of other things I'd say on it. Um, I thought playing the three in midfield uh, plus Sabalos. 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 Yeah. Um, they, they ask for it, they'll get it. Sabalos. Um, I think that playing those three, basically four players, all of whom in one form or other, help you play out with Chaka kind of covered almost like a three center backs. When we talk about Luis having support as a, in three center back in a three center back formation with two defenders, either side of him, I think it worked pretty well with Chaka. I know he got a lot of flack for having a terrible game, but I don't think he did have a terrible game. He had a couple of bad passes overall. I thought it was pretty good, pretty clean. Uh, he had some good balls out. And certainly the logic of it made some sense in that this was a guy who was going to get su- support on either side of him and Sabias dropping in deep. Um, and the alternate was going to be having um, Lacazette in the middle. And I don't think that was going to buy us as much support as Sabias, no, no uh, rhyme intended, was in theory going to get us. So we had four players who could help us play out and combine. And at times it worked. I mean, we had, I don't know, 10, 12 attacks in the first half that basically resulted in uh, Pepe and Aubameyang kind of 2v2 or 2v3. And, you know, it it, it might fall down because of an offside or a a clumsy touch or two along the way. But, you know, those were Mm. situations we liked. And they had... Maybe ten, I think uh, I saw the stats up till like 40 minutes into it. They had 10 shots and we had five shots uh, on goal. Well, I liked our five shot uh, options pretty much as good as their 10 shots. So um, there are things we could have done. I, I'm not saying I love this. I'm not sure it was brilliantly executed. Uh, there have been teams who played a better diamond and they certainly pushed us right back with it. I do admire the thinking in terms of the four midfielders and the playing out from the back. And I hope this makes us a, a better team, not a less confident team at the end of it. Yeah. Dangerous business. Well, but th- when you've come into something like this and somewhat handled it for best part of 45 minutes, hopefully we can take positives out of that when we come up against Spurs. Yeah, I, I well, I, I have a lot of thoughts on the tactics after watching it again. Before I kind of give you what I saw, I, I want to get something from someone who knows better than I do. So that would be Clive. Um, Clive, you know, there's a lot of debate going on today about the fact that we gave them the flanks, that we gave them their, their fullbacks space to operate, and that that's dangerous. But the reality is that 
crosses in the air are low percentage chances on XG that Socrates and Louise should be able to handle, you know, Firmino in the air or Salah or Mane in the air, that they don't necessarily look like a team that can hurt you with crosses in the air as much as they can hurt you playing the ball through the channels and slip through balls and dribbling past players. And so we gave them access to the wings, but then we crowded that space with three players when they had it there. So it was 3v2 on the wings once they got into those deeper positions. Now, early on, I have it written in my notes that at 22 minutes, it stopped being a diamond and it became more of a flat back four uh, two, two banks of four in a way, and I'll, I'll talk about a little bit how I saw that playing out. But so, you know, if if uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold had the ball and Salah was over on that wing with him, he had Nacho and Willock and Ceballos for company. If Robertson and Mane were on the ball, they had Maitland-Niles, Ceballos, and Guendouzi for company. And yep. Ceballos sort of shuttled across the back line, to cover whichever flank needed the support. Now, this gave us a lot of trouble when we won the ball back because we had no one in central spaces to get out. We had no way out, no exit, as Jean-Paul Sartre might say, because it was Shaka sitting in front of the back two, and Ceballos had shuffled over to the wing to help support, so there's no central space. And I think the thing that really started the vice around our, our throat is that our out balls were making it about 30 yards from our goal. The Liverpool attacks weren't starting in their half. We couldn't push out. We couldn't press them. We couldn't deny access because Fabinho was collecting the ball third, you know, in our attacking third and starting attacks there. And it just pushed us deeper and deeper. And it was harder and harder to get out. When we did get out, when Willick managed to dribble out or when we managed a long ball, Guendouzi played a great long ball to Pepe that he controlled, spun, and went down the wing. That's how we created attacks. So, you know, I'm curious your take on the idea that we that we gave them access to the wings because while I thought we gave them the ability to get the ball to the wings I don't know that we necessarily conceded the wide spaces in terms of giving them really good attacking opportunities from that point yeah so they switched play to the fullbacks but they got the ball quite deep they ran 15 yards and they've then they eventually they were hooking it in and I don't know how many crosses I should know sorry but how many crosses the fullbacks made but I can't remember anything that stressed me out Right, so remember this in the Europa League final, they Chelsea gave us the sides. It's a tactic, right? And you sit. We've deep, used you that tactic a lot, by the way. Under Emery, yeah. I think our most consistent big game tactic is giving the, yes, giving them wide spaces and saying if you can cross the ball into the box and score that way, we'll let you. But you're not playing through the middle. You're not playing through our middle. You're not coming down the middle. Basketball term. You're not coming down the middle, right? If you come down the middle, you're going to get slapped. That's what that's what we were trying to do. They so, had 24 again, crosses in the first half, Clive. Yeah, so... But, I mean, but interesting, they only had uh, 27 or something by the end of the game. So basically, it was yeah. all that first half. Oh, mate, mate, they were playing into our hands. It's so frustrating. They were playing into our hands. Their halftime team talk would have been a tough one if it weren't for the fact that we shinned a corner and then then basically conceded from a set piece while we were yeah. resting on our heels. I mean, that just there, blew everything up. There was up. video of Klopp on about 35 minutes frustrated as fuck on the touchline. Things we were not them. going well. We, we had Robertson and Van Dyke, Pepe, had them on toast, mate. He had them on toast. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, hold on, this has got some potential here. I tell you I, I, I tell you now, I looked at this game and I said, the next time we play this team, 
we're going to play our football. We're not going to adjust to you any much longer because we've got a few components to come into this side, particularly in fullback areas. And when they arrive, you're, we're going to create you a problem that you're going to have to really answer Liverpool. This is going to be one of the last few times we're going to dance to anyone's tune. And that's what the message that Arsenal fans should take away from this game because there's enough positive things happening in this game just compare it to last year's five points. It's a shame Tim's not on. I'd love to know how he felt because he was at both games. The difference in feeling between both games. I think at 3 0, he probably thought, here we go. But it, it wasn't that sort of game. It just it was a five minutes either side of half time, which gave us a, a, a view. Now, we have to relax. Again, I didn't see this game live. When you see the game live, live, you bring scars with you emotional scars. We also just nerve. hate seeing Arsenal playing 18 yards from their their own goal for 45 yeah, minutes. It's natural exactly. to, to, to hate that and be annoyed oh, at it. It's, you might, everyone must have been crapping themselves, really nervous at all this action, the crowd going on. When you watch it again, Elliot, watch it again. You did watch it again. Did you see what was happening? What was happening? If anything, we're sitting here today. We saw the potential birth of a very good Premier League player in Pepe. We saw another very good forward, who didn't quite execute from the crumbs that fell from the table. And if they do that, not saying that we'd win, potentially we stop Liverpool going one-on-one at the back. If you're Pepe and Aubameyang, you should be walking away with your Louis Vuitton sponge bag and say to yourself, hold on, I was one-on-one. They disrespected me. They left me one-on-one for the majority of the game. And how many times did I get in and did I make them pay for it? I didn't make them pay for it. And I needed to make them pay for it because that was the only way we were going to change this mass pressing of basically Liverpool pushing us back into our own half. And they left me one-on-one and they're taking a mickey out of me because I'm too good to be left one-on-one. And the next time that I want, I've got to make sure that doesn't happen. So that was the trick. The whole thing was one-on-one to rapid forwards that could break and we didn't execute. And that leaves us with a... When is our mistake coming? And we give him a free header on the corner and David Luiz wants to see the inside of um, Mo Salah's shirt. And he took it, right? And from that moment on, you start to see the weaknesses and then suddenly Monreal looks but, a bit slower. But you know, Do you know what I'm saying? You know what I'll say, Clive? I, I, and we'll get to the second half in just a bit. But I think what happens too is this is the problem. Football, football games are also about causing stress for your opponent. And they caused us a tremendous amount of stress versus what we caused them. And the problem with that is players can only concentrate under stress that long. They can only chase and be disciplined and positioned and play under stress that long, especially if you're not Burnley. Look, if you're Burnley, you train to play that way for a whole season. If you're Arsenal, you train to play that way, you know, three times a season. And so I do think once the goals went in, Clive, the stress showed. And then we didn't have the focus or the discipline to to keep chasing and spacing. And we, we got caught kind of being confused about how to get back in the game but stay in the game. I, we can come to the second half because I, I, I want to get a few more things out before the break on the first half, if that's okay. All I want to say yeah. is the, the greatest stress reliever is a goal. Yeah. Right? And that's, and that's what we needed. And we didn't quite get it. It's no fault of the players. We didn't quite execute. But we saw enough intent and danger from the front two to think, mm. I can see what he's trying to do here. If we score one or two of those goals... It's not saying it's a different game, but it's a game that lasts yes. a bit longer. 
47 minutes. Well, and we scored first in the 5-1. So let's not pretend that scoring first necessarily is a panacea. Mm-hmm. I do think if you get to halftime at nil-nil, all that hard work and stress and focus is rewarded. You can say, okay, we've made it through half the game. We've had some chances and you can feel good. Going down a goal right before halftime is so deflating when you've expended that much energy. Look, I think there are two debates to be had here. There's the debate about the philosophy of the plan. Do you hate what the plan was? You're entitled to hate that plan. You're entitled to say, I'd like to see us have more of a go. I'd like to have seen us play three up front. I would like to have seen a 4-3-3 stretched across the pitch, challenge them more going the other direction. I mean, you can say that if you want, and I have no problem with that. You can argue with the philosophy. I don't think you can say there wasn't a plan, and I don't think you can say the plan was failing. You can say, I hate the plan. But I don't think you could say the plan was failing. Now, I think you have and to And I sometime- don't think you can say it was cowardly either. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you can okay. say anything, right? I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, not sure. Say- I'm not sure I can But consider- you just said you didn't think people could say stuff. You listed three things people couldn't say. You know, you make a solid point that I'm going to ignore. Here's what Emery <laughs> said after the match. We wanted to keep the ball and keep possession better. But their pressing was very strong, and we didn't pre- break their pressing of the ball as much as we wanted. And here's where I think we got caught in a bit of a trap with the way we let them play and the way we responded to it. So can I just give my two-minute tactical analysis of this game, which everyone can just fast-forward, like hit the 30-second forward thing four times, and, and you'll be done with me. Um, uh, all right, I'm looking for the button here, but I don't no, see you, it. No, you don't actually have it. You have to I'm listen to this to, in oh, real time. Shit. So at about the 22-minute 22, 22 mark, here's the way we were playing. Shaka was shielding the center backs, right, sitting at the top of the D, protecting the center backs. Ganduzi was helping Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Willick was helping Nacho Monreal. So those guys are stretched real deep, real wide. Shaka sitting in the middle. Ceballos was shuttling back and forth, protecting whichever wing the ball went to. So when it went to TAA, and I mentioned this, it was Ceballos, Willick, and Nacho in that corner, shielding off the ball. The only guy in the center is is Shaka sitting right at the D, and then you've got... Aubameyang, who dropped in a little, and Pepe standing on the halfway line. When we got the ball back, the problem with that system, it was stopping them. The only thing they could do was throw crosses into the box, and those weren't really coming off. Fine. When we got the ball back, we had no access to central spaces and no verticality. Look at the absolutely crazy shit, terrible, awful pass Ceballos plays, tries to play to Ganduzi from the corner that gets picked up by Mane, where he probably should have scored and hits it straight at Leno. You guys remember, right? Um, yep. That is a horrible moment. But the reason he's doing it is he looks up and he sees Ganduzi. I mean, if Ganduzi takes one more step in field, he's probably hittable with that pass and you can start to break the press from there. But there's no there's no access. There's nowhere to go. How, what do pressing teams want? They want you up against the touchline. They want you up against the end line. They want to cut off the spaces you can go with the ball so you only have one option. And you're looking at Ceballos who's got only a right foot. On the left side, he's got the touchline. On the right side, he's got defenders bearing down on him, pressing, you know, pressers bearing down on him. And the ball just wound up getting hooked. He did have one option, though, Elliot. There's like, is it Nacho? Sure. Or, it, it's Nacho. Uh, it's, it's Nacho and it's Willick. And I mean, it, there there's one really good play where, where Ceballos and Willick are slightly more central. And so they are able to trick their way out. And that's the one that ends with uh, the really good Pepe chance, not the one that he got from Henderson's bad pass. And... and Actually, that turns into a counterattack where um, Ganduzi makes a beautiful run into the box and Pepe takes the curling shot instead of slipping Ganduzi in. Probably our best chance to make it 1-0 apart from Aubameyang's missed open goal or the, the Pepe chance from Henderson. But I guess what I'm saying is this, and and Paul, I just you can address this a little bit. You know, when you read what the manager says, we wanted to keep the ball and keep possession better. 
but the pressing was very strong and we didn't break their pressing of the ball as much as we wanted. Do you think that the problem is by forcing them, by giving them wide spaces and then trying to to kind of hem them in there, what we did is we left too much, we, let, we, we didn't leave enough players in the center of the pitch. We didn't have anyone to get the ball back to when we won it. I felt that when we won the ball back more centrally, we were able to get it up the pitch to Pepe, up the pitch to Aubameyang, past the press. We won it so often in those corners and so often down deep in the channels that we didn't have any any way out. So is the problem with the system that, yes, you can keep them out, but you, you just don't leave yourself avenues to break the press? Okay, I think it's less the system, more the familiarity and the execution on the day. I mean, who's the it's outball? One thing- Let me ask you that way. Who's, who's the outball? I mean, if, if Shaq is just sitting at the top of the D between the center backs... And you're yep. Ceballos, or you know, and you've just you've just helped win the ball back deep, deep, deep in the left wing. What's yep. your out ball? How do you the get out, out of the, the ball, press? The out the ball out. should be Ceballos. Yeah, he's the but, release. But he's foul. Play, But he's tucking into that corner to help. And that's because we were managing a very good team, the European champions, that's pushed us back. You can't look at things like that. There are circumstances. I'm glad he's in there helping out on the left hand side because he felt there were some problems down there. And then it suddenly. Yeah, and that's and that is exactly what it should be, almost like an active ten that goes both sides to be the release valve for the fullback as an exit. He, he did it against side. Burnley, by the way. Look, look at his passes. He received as many passes brilliant. from Maitland Niles as he did from Nacho in the Burnley game. The difference is they're twenty yards further up the pitch. I, I do want to let Paul get in here, Clive, and then then you can yeah. answer this if that's okay. Paul, go go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. So uh, had we maintained our structure a little bit better, because um, we kind of. Obviously, we were dragged from side to side, and after a while, uh, we closed down situations we shouldn't have, and we didn't close down situations we should, and we started getting tired. So you start to lose a little shape, and suddenly you get the ball back, and you're maybe a little rattled, and the triangles aren't aren't quite right. And that's why Ceballos wasn't the out ball that we'd hoped he'd been. But there, there were three other out balls. One was Genduzzi, and the other was Willock on either side. And they were quite successful at times in the first half, springing us forward, running with the ball and getting a pass forward. Willock had multiple runs upfield that created opportunities. And then the fourth out ball was Aubameyang, who kind of sacrificed him a little bit himself a little bit to Pepe in terms of his position to get a little closer to it. But of course, it didn't. You know, the the problem with these things is you end up finding yourself totally defending the the the, the approach and the the execution. I don't think. I don't think the approach was perfect, but I understand it. I don't think the execution was anywhere near perfect. And I think the tighter we got, even in the first half, the more we began to lose a certain amount of shape. Atletico Madrid does this week in, week out. We do it once, and we decide to do it against the reigning European champions uh, and Gagan Press champions, who can turn it on when they want to. And we started to look a little ragged at times, but but we had four, at least three out balls. Willock and Ganduzi had their moments. Chak over the top when he had a little space, and the other having those other three technical players need him near him got him a bit of space. And then there was always Luis, but he didn't get much chance to pull off that shot. So I think if you're drawing it up on the whiteboard before the game, you can say, "Hey, look, I got four, five ways to get out of here." Of course, uh, you know. Battle plans, surviving contact with the enemy, uh, things don't always go beautifully to plan, and they didn't. Let me ask you something, Clive. I, I, look, we played over 200 passes in our defensive third, okay? we The one thing I want to say is we didn't play a Burnley. 
We didn't just sit deep and kick long. We tried to play out. When we got the ball, we tried to play out. The we question, 40% of the passes in the first half. Yeah. Didn't we? They had 300, we had 200, basically. Yeah, but, but our 200 were in our defensive third. And, yeah. and I'm not using that as a stick to beat us, but here's what I want to ask. If you want to press a little, if you want to push up a little higher, if you want to deny access to, to those wide spaces, you need room to do that. They started so many of their possessions so deep in our half because of where we gave the ball away or gave the ball back to them. And and I'm going to pick a fight with you, Paul, because I think Shaka was guilty for some of that. But um, sure. But Clive, here's what I want to ask. I love that we're committed to playing out this season. I think long-term it's the right thing to do. Can you make an argument that when you are so deep when you are so stuck in your defensive third, when you cannot push those players up the pitch to start cutting off angles and putting a little pressure on their midfield and and getting a little bit more of the territory back, they had more than 70% of the territory in this game, do you think that playing short out was always the right way to go here? Because we could have given ourselves, you know, what's the first thing you do if you can play it out long under pressure is you sprint forward and start to stretch the pitch again. Should we have tried to stretch the pitch maybe a little more instead of the the overly intricate playing out from the back under immense pressure? Yeah, see, you're, you're absolutely right. You have two options, right? So what they do, they're trying to push you into your half and they're trying to force you to go long. But go long with poor quality. So they're trying to press you into sides. Sometimes they press you, but don't want to take the ball off you. They're saying, go on, you can clear it down that side, but you're not going to switch play on us. You're not going to expose us and stretch us apart. So, yeah, you can clear it down the right back slot if you want. Try and go into Pepe. We've got good bodies around you here, and we'll smash him and take it off him, and we'll come back to you. And you'll be slightly stretched and slightly broken because you've got excited and you think you've got the ball. But we're taking it. So it just becomes a game of cat and mouse. They wanted us in our half now we could just say oh we're under stress let's just boot it and get up the field that is exactly what they want what they don't want is to be challenged so if we can break the press if we can get free kicks if we can stop the waves of attack that is exactly what we should be doing that's what a big club does a small club boots it right and tries to get throw-ins Right, literally, they go from there. And second ball football. We didn't do that. When we got out, we passed it out to forwards one-on-one. And we created situations. So I all, all ran it out when we could. You have, to, you have to give respect to the opposition. In the preview podcast, I said one thing. I said we go diamond. And then I, I flipped. But I also said one thing that bothered me was the lack of power. And what I should have said was, we're quite youthful in there. And we lacked a bit of man strength, a bit of power to really make them think. And I felt we were, you know, Sobias was a little bit light. Willock did well, but he's light. He's only 19, just turned 20. Gwenduzi is a good player when the game is where he wants it to be. I felt we made him do a job that he wasn't best suited for, which he tried manfully to do. And so what he ended up doing was thinking, I can't keep doing these shuttles from the inside on the diamond. I'm just going to stay here, tucked in right-hand side, right midfield. Well, we've got a couple of people on the bench who can do that job, Mkhitaryan and Nelson. Do you see what I mean? And so that the way they pushed him and stressed him actually broke the shape of the diamond and he just be, he ended up looking after the dangerous Robertson, trying to at least block him off so he would cross from a deep area. And so football makes football creates you problems. 
Liverpool have the ability to solve more problems than than we can at the moment. They also have a lot of experience in Milner, Henderson, Wijnaldum, Fabinho. They're two, three years ahead of our midfield in weight, in age, in stature. But we are the team that's coming up. And we just need more time together. If I did say a little tweet about, um, you know, can you imagine Maitland-Niles if he was able to play the right tip of that diamond with Bellerin behind him? That's a different athlete, a different player with different skill sets that can travel and drive like Willett can. And then you can solve a problem. It's nothing to do with Gwen Dudu's ability. He was just asked to do a job that he couldn't quite do. And so that, to me, is the, is the criticism. None of us expected a 2 out of 10 out of Sabayas. He didn't link. He didn't really defend. He did okay, but he couldn't dominate in the same way as he could on a sunny day at the Emirates. And so you, you find out a few things. I'm not stressed about it. I just can't get stressed about this game. I really can't. In fact, I take positives away because we, we ended up doing some some nice away day forward play that really showed we've got a couple of players that are proper, proper good players that can challenge the very, very, very best defenders in our league. And if we can do that there, we're gonna do, we can do that almost any other ground in the league apart from maybe Man City's. We can do that anywhere. And that is a major takeaway from this game. It's just extrapolate forward to when, the, when more players are available at the right level of fitness. We won't be playing their game any longer. I, I really do. I really feel strongly about this. We mustn't look at the minutiae of a very good side, bullying us, pushing us into areas, make us do stressful things, make us do things that are out of character, making us do jobs we don't want to do. And it wasn't for stupidity of a couple of our most experienced players, mm. we could have easily been in a situation after an hour where we're still in this game. There was no stress, Elliot. There was just well, territory. Mm, I, I, think there's just te- I think territorial stress is stress, right? I mean, I think being under extreme pressure in your defensive third is stress emotionally. I think I think that does... Uh, and the, there was a reason Luis pulled that jersey. Well, I, I want to no talk about that. So hold, VAR, hold your... But, hold, but yeah, hold, hold your... Um, Hold your fire there because I want to talk about that. Let's let's do this. Let's take a break because when we come back, I, I want to get into some of the individual incidents and specific players, um, and we can kind of go through them a little bit. I, I will say this. I mean, I agree with you that we want to play out from the back, and that is the big club way to try to get around the press. I think there were times when... And, and certainly part of the problem is we kept our fullbacks back. So when we had the ball, there were no out balls in the wings. You know, they pretty much let Matip and Van Dyke cover the whole the whole defensive half on their own. And and to be fair, lesser defenders might have done even worse, and and they still had some challenges. But we just we never got to breathe like an accordion that was completely condensed. We never got to stretch the accordion back out and and space our players across the pitch. I think by about twenty minutes, most of our players spent most of the half, rest of the half within eighteen yards of their goal. And I I don't know that you can play that way. And so we probably needed to vary our way out. I like playing out from the back. I just would have liked to have seen a little more variance. Let's. Let's do this. So take a break. Uh, we'll tell you about The Athletic. Remember, go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision, and uh, you'll get it for two fifty a month, and you'll also support the pod. So it, it works out for everybody. We will be hearing from some athletic uh, journalists on the pod as a result of the partnership, and I'm really excited about that. So we will uh, tell you about that. When we come back, we're going to talk about some really, really interesting performances. I imagine David Luiz and Pepe's name will come up. Stay with us. More after this. 
Okay, it's time to tell you about The Athletic, the new home of football writing and a world-class sports website. You can get The Athletic for half off and a month trial right now if you go to theathletic.com forward slash arsenalvision. You'll help the pod, and of course you'll help The Athletic too, but that's a good thing because you will be at the new home of football getting world-class writing and the best coverage of Arsenal from writers like Amy Lawrence, whom we love, has been on the pod, David Ornstein, James McNicholas, also known as Gunnerblog, myself, but don't let that hold you back. The coverage of sports is unrivaled and there's no advertising to get in the way, no clickbait. They're not chasing ad revenue. They're just trying to write great in-depth articles. They've broken some incredible news. They've had some incredible interviews. Loved the article about the Eddie and Ketty load to Leeds and how that came about. So there's a lot to like there. Try it out. It's a month free. And then if you stick with it, it's $2.50 a month. That's it. So you can go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision and try it now. See what all the buzz is about. Go sign up now, theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. All right, we're back. Hopefully you will be uh, giving The Athletic a try, but if not, either way, we uh, we love you for being here. And we're, we're thrilled about that. If you missed it, uh, by the way, Tim did a video travel log uh, for patrons that gives you a sense of what it's like being on a match day trip with him. And uh, there'll be more of that coming up. Uh, that was the first one, and I thought it was a nice start. So something to check out. Let's do this, though. Paul, uh, I want to talk to David Luiz. I think, obviously, some of the things that happened in this game were tactical, and some of them were individual. One of the things that drives me nuts, and I wrote this in my notes after the game, is that whatever you think of the tactics, whatever you think of the philosophy behind the football, we're a team that still makes too many individual errors, and individual errors cost you games at the top level. Now, I realize that emotional stress and pressure can cause those individual errors, um, but one of the reasons we want to move away from Mustafi is because he has the kinds of errors that can kill you. See, also Palace, Crystal, home last season. Um, Granite Shaka sometimes gets criticized for similarly making those kinds of errors. And we did it again against Liverpool. Ceballos guilty for the pass that, that Mane picks up and probably should score. But David Luiz has the two killer errors. It is a really interesting game from him in a way because I thought his tracking and his intelligence and his experience were on display in the first half and he did a really nice job for most of it. But once the goal goes in, his head goes, and I, I think the the two plays he makes that give them their second and third goal are pretty inexcusable. You want to break down for me what you think happens with David Luiz, how you're feeling about his performance, especially in the second half? Well, generally pretty good in the first half. Obviously, between the center backs in our organization, we kind of screwed up that corner that, that let Matip get free. But set pieces to one side. Um I guess I'm with you that there's no way, I, I just don't see looking back on it, and I think I felt it at the time, there's no way we can do that for much longer than 45 minutes. Now, it's a guessing game. You would think they come out after the halftime and they've still got some legs for at least another 10 minutes, as I think Clive had said. But this was two minutes into it, we had this screw up. And it's, uh, I'm not going to put it on Luis. I think there's two two errors here, right? There's the Luis penalty, but basically, uh, Salah is clean through on goal uh, with the kind of uh, situation that uh, we suffered from last year in the 5-1. I mean, that's what happens if you play them more at their game. And the reason this came about is we were up the other end going after it right from the start of the second half. We, were actually, we may not have changed structure, but we were 
you could argue, more aggressive. We were stretched out across the field. They swung it over to the right, I think, and then back over to the left to Robertson, who put that ball, as he does, right up the middle. He had a couple of good ones in the first half, but we were much more compact, and we saw the ball out or through. And in this case, that gap opened up between Socrates and Luis, but also through our midfield with Robertson basically uncontested. And they did to us. I mean, if you didn't like this, then I, you could cheekily say, well, then, you know, how do you want to, how do you want to get beat? If you've ever heard that joke about the death by Bongo Bongo, the one with the three missionaries in the middle of the, uh, the uh, jungle and the caught by a bunch of natives who offered the, missionaries death or bongo bongo and the first two take bongo bongo and get sodomized by the whole troop and the third guy says well uh, i i'm purer and better than them i'll take death and the chief announces death by bongo bongo (laughs) and that's basically our choice coming into this game right you're going to get death by bongo bongo or just straight up bongo bongo so um, I think these are that, the parts of the pod that I most look forward to muting. Good. <laughs> so I think that goal tells you a lot more than just the Luis penalty. That that's a microcosm of the two approaches. Even if the f- formation was not changed, had we been more aggressive, more stretched out, um, we would have seen that goal earlier in the first half instead of the goal we saw. So yeah, there's the whole D- David Luis conversation, but. Uh, that was probably a goal or could have been. If the ball wasn't perfect to Mo Salah, there was nothing stopping Robertson getting it even more perfect and Salah being through one-on-one. And you could argue maybe Luis should be the other side and blah, blah, blah. But guess what? These guys do this to teams all day long, all week long. So I I think that's the most interesting goal of all of them because that's the turning point in the game and almost a microcosm of the two approaches. Mm. Um, you know, one thing that I will say, and I, you're not going to love this part of it, Paul, but the Luis foul for the penalty, I mean, I, I guess obviously the right thing for him to do there is just let Salah go and, and hope he doesn't score. Mm. What I will say is um, there's a Shaka error in there. And, and the error mm. is that he follows yep. Firmino, he follows Firmino, Follows Firmino, and then Firmino gets kind of close to the box. And for reasons I cannot explain, Chaka just stops and lets Firmino go and kind of wanders off in another direction. Of course, the ball comes to uh, Firmino. Our whole screen, our whole midfield has is the wrong side of the ball for that whole play. And it's basically their three against our three with the the two full backs in place. And that's what I think we were going to see mm. had we had a 4-3-3. Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a fair point. I, I just think... I, I do struggle with Chaka in this game. And, and again, he wasn't awful and he did some good distribution. I think it's worth remembering he had that early foul in the game that should have been a yellow card that puts us under pressure right away, a free kick relatively near our box because he fouls because he won't shuffle his feet. There was another one like that a little bit later, two failed uh, challenge attempts right in front of our box that resulted in fouls. But given the role that he wound up playing, I'm surprised it wasn't Torreira. But when you read, and I'm going to read the same Emery quote again, we wanted to keep the ball and keep possession, but their pressing was very strong, and we didn't break their pressing of the ball as much as we wanted. I'm not sure Emery thought we'd struggle with the press so much, and I felt maybe he thought Shaka would have a better chance to sit and distribute you know, long and, and in out, you know, spray those balls to the fullbacks pushing up the pitch or get it to Pepe and 
Aubameyang. He didn't really do that. And under the circumstances, I think Torreira would have done a better job in the role he wound up playing. But that's, you know, that's hindsight and it's impossible to fix that now. Let me just to add, my defense mm-hmm. at Chaka is more about the first half. I, I, I'm with you on the, the second half as a whole other animal. Yeah, that was a that was a big screw up, I think, with our midfield in general. And therefore, Chaka, most of all, that he's the wrong side of that ball. Mm. Clive, do you want to quickly chime in on Luis? Because I want to ask you about Maitland-Niles. I thought this was a really, really poor game for Maitland-Niles. And I think the problem we're having with him right now is he is a player who can be a world beater like he was against Newcastle and then really struggle in subsequent games like he did the last two. It's hard when you have a player like this whose level varies so wildly because you, as a manager, of course, you need to know what you're going to get from a player. I mean, one of the reasons Mustafi has become became a problem is even before he totally went into the toilet, some games he could be fine, in some games he could ruin the game for you. You need predictability in terms of the level from players, and I'm not sure we're getting it from Maitland-Niles. Did you, are, are you worried by what you saw from him in this game? I thought it was about no, as poor as you could ask. No, okay. no I, I don't agree. Um, well, you don't also, agree that he was poor? I, I, well, you're talking about playing against, was it his name's Richie for Newcastle with Almiron buzzing around? Versus Firmino and um, and oh, Mane. it's a hard and it's a hard deployment. I get it. I'm just saying he didn't, yeah. he didn't cope with it very so, well. So uh, I I so I, I I thought he coped better than Monreal did. I don't know if you saw around minute seventy, Monreal literally just hit a wall, just exploded, could not get back into his hole at all. And the problems for me were on Salah's side. I thought Salah caused us the most problems on the day. I really felt he was excellent. I thought he really caused Louise and Monreal the bigger problems. And I thought that was the side that we struggled with the most. I'm start, If we talk about Shaka quickly, I felt I'm starting to get really concerned about Shaka. I've got to be honest with you. And the reason is I think we all know what he can and can't do. I think we all can see that. Um, but what I can say is I'm starting to wonder if the pluses are worth the minuses. I'm with you. I, I really am because I feel differently about the team when he plays and not in a good way. And I used to feel the team needed him, needed his experience, needed his leadership. But what I see now are frailties and things to pick on. And if I'm a coach watching him, I'm going for him. I'm targeting him. I'm stressing him. I'm stretching him. I'm making him... in get onto his, onto his right foot. I'm going for him because I, I don't think he's got an all-round game which can solve problems. And I, I'm telling you, I'm not sure. I thought it would be a season. It, this is his last season and he should lead us and all the rest of it. And I bought into it because of the youth of the rest of the midfield. We are very young and we can't really afford to chuck away a man. But, mate, I'm telling you, I'm not sure the pluses are worth the minuses in these big games any longer. And do you just say, you know what? Torreira, base of a diamond for your country, base of a diamond for Arsenal, base of our midfield, look after our back four. Gwenduzi, you've got the same strata Shaka. I know you're young. I'm not, it's a risk. It's a huge risk. And I don't think Arsenal are going to take it. But footballistically, I I'm starting to not see the... I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. Give him a chance. He starts the season slow. 
I don't want to shut down and, and make conclusions after um, playing one of the best teams. Well, the best team in Europe could easily win the championship this year. These are not a time for conclusions. These are the times when you you're, you get stretched to your edges, and Shaka got stretched to his. We were sitting there in a in a four four two or four diamond two, whatever you want to call it, and we got two rapid forwards. At least you've got the ability to hit them, and I don't think he gave us that. No, I thought decision making was deep, was poor. He, he was gave the ball backwards way too much too. I mean, he yeah. he was scared to turn because he was scared of the pressure, and he gave the ball backwards into our box to defenders and Leno too many times. I, I yeah, I agree with you, Clyde. The only reason passing I'm pulling responsibility rather than passing the ball. Yeah, didn't that's like well it. said. Didn't uh, like it. Great turn of phrase. The only reason I'm pulling this back from you real quick is going to drive people listening nuts, but it's because Paul has to go momentarily, and I cannot let him go if I don't at least say Paul. <laughs> Do you feel that this game was okay for Pepe's confidence, my friend? <laughs> if you did, by the way, if you're not picking up on this in the in the preview, we had a, a little we had our first you know argument of the season with Paul saying don't throw Pepe in the deep end uh, at at Anfield, and and I think he swam okay. You, you happy with his swimming? I was. Um, this suited him because we started him up front in a two to counterattack, which is his game. Uh, this. You know, I was looking at a different scenario, um, but what what I think also he lacked. A, he did a lot that was great here. I think what he lacked here was that third player, the Lacazette role, because that's what he's played with uh, at Lille. That the the two other forwards coming up inside him, streaking up the middle like the red arrows, and very often. Obama Yang was sacrificing himself to get him sprung. So uh, I thought this was a very interesting format for him to show his stuff. But consequently, uh, he just didn't have the supporting players to... to but, but that said, even though he was often 1v1 one, one one or 1v2, I mean, he did great uh, without much of a supporting cast around him. So it's, it, it'll be interesting to see how often we, pl- we use the fact that Pepe's... I mean... Such brilliant quick feet in tight corners against strong defenders. It'll be it must be tempting for Emery to think we'll use his counter-attacking prowess uh, in the season coming up. But that raises philosophical debates of who is the protagonist mm. and who's the antagonist. So it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, he was great. There's no two ways about it. I don't know if he was really a 90-minute player here. He was a lot quieter in the second half, but maybe that was more to do with the nature of the game. The only thing I'll say is I don't think, you know, the one thing you saw in this game is I think he can beat the first man anytime he wants for the most part. He didn't necessarily do it in his first couple of games, but I think we'll start to see more of it. And if he can beat the first man, then the question becomes, can he distribute? Now, he did distribute effectively at Lille. I thought what let him down in this game was his decision-making about when to take the shot on himself when he had other options. We'll, we'll get on to that in a minute. Yeah. But, Paul, I know you got to go. So, Paul's on Twitter. Pause on my pants. Yep. Thanks, Paul. Okay. Uh, Paul is gone. Clive, let's let's stay on Pepe for a moment. Um, wow. I mean, so, so a few things. First of all, how do you feel about... The, you know, we talked about his confidence. If anything, you could argue he was too confident in this game only because there were just a couple of situations where he opted for the shot when the pass was on. The one that really comes to mind is he tried to curl one, um, and it not the one that just missed the corner. I thought that was a pretty good decision. But there was another one he tried to curl where it was a counterattack, and Ganduzi comes storming down the pitch and makes a really intelligent run into 
the box just beyond him, an overlapping run, and Aubameyang's on the other side of the box. And if he slides it to Ganduzi, he can either shoot or slip it across to Aubameyang for a tap, and he chooses to shoot there. Do you think that if you had to nitpick anything from this game on Pepe, it would just be that he he maybe was too self-confident, that he, he didn't necessarily make the right choice between when to take it on himself and when to give it? You, you could do. Uh, I, I said before in the preview pod, the only thing I've not seen is his shooting power. I thought he had a couple of weak shots at Newcastle, and he had that weak side foot with the wrong finish. If he lets that come across his body a little bit more, he can slide it in on his right foot into a near post. Except he wants hey, it on his left. That's the whole problem. It, right there. Yeah, he scored He scored a few on his right, according to my YouTube analysis. <laughs> um, yeah, he's... Um, I, I, you know, what I describe him as, he's a footballer's football baller. He is a true baller. Ball comes to him. I'm telling you, I I I absolutely love watching his intelligence in one-on-one situations. How he he made Virgil Van Dyke look really uneasy. He has skipped past him a couple of times. That's the first time he's been dribbled past for I don't know how long. And and basically he had Robertson, he skipped past him a few times. I guarantee you talk to any Liverpool fan in the ground, if there's one Arsenal player there talk about is Pepe. You know, and he's not ready yet. And I think this was a game to get him ready for for Spurs. Uh, I am so excited about his ability to hold the right hand side. I felt Robinson was brave. He's a decent player. He's not a fool, and he he know he's got to run off because he knows Pepe's not coming. And Pepe was try what they try to do with split strikers was to sit between fullback and centre half. And tried to pin four people back with two. Liverpool fullback said, nah, we're going. We're going anyway. And we're just going to push on. If you want to go one-on-one, you go one-on-one. We fancy our two against your two. Hence my point earlier. We didn't punish them enough for the risk they took. We just didn't. And they overloaded us, stretched us out, moved us all about, made us unhappy in our certain areas of the pitch. We managed it quite well. We had periods. And then we conceded a stupid goal. So for me, Pepe is a pending superstar Premier League footballer. It's as simple as that. Doesn't make you miss Zaha now, does it? No, it it doesn't. (laughs) It doesn't. Why why it doesn't? Because I I sort of know Zaha. And with that, you know, we all like new shiny toys, didn't we? And we can see, we can all see. You don't need to be me to see this. We can all see that the way he plays is going to be He's just going to be a crowd-pleasing player. As soon as he hits the net a few times, he's going to go stratospheric. He's going to go right to the sky. I cannot wait to see the three of them together. I think they are perfectly suited to play together. we just got to be brave enough to do it, to get the right midfield three in place, particularly at home, and to let them go. Because Lacazette looked upset not to play. He came out smashing people off the ball, on the ball. He looks like a, He looks like the man we needed. And I, I felt we missed his strength. We missed his personality, his ability to battle centre centre halves. I again, I think Emery was scarred by the last visit, and I that's why he went this formation. I understand it, but I would have liked to see this matchup. But if we'd have got beaten five, that would have been quite damaging if we matched up like that. So I don't know. I'm I'm very fifty fifty on it. And I listened to the preview pod and I absolutely swayed from four diamond two to four three three in the middle of the podcast. And I like to be consistent. I just couldn't be. Because I felt maybe this was the time 
to say we're here we're going to take you on but actually thinking about it we've got a potential of two different fullbacks to come in and we've got midfielder in Torreira who basically told us all he's just started North London Derby to come in we still had two or three players that's without talking about our highest paid player not really ready to play in the best shape so we can't we haven't got all the tools that we have to go and say right now we can do what we want to do and move toward towards more Elliot towards that philosophy manager that that you and other people want to see and, and I, can I just go expand on that point a little bit further I think I suppose that's gonna... better than whatever useless shit I was going to say <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> well, you know, I've I, I've argued with you silently about you know seeing a philosophy, and I've always felt Emmy's a tactical manager, and he will put a system out for the day, and that's his philosophy. But once you give the man the tools that he has now, they're not all in place yet. What's going to be his? He's going to have to decide what's going to kill him. It's going to be when I have everything in place. Am I now going to put that philosophy in place? Because when you're playing Lichsteiner and Kalashnik at fullback, as he did last year at Anfield, and putting the Wobie and Maitland-Niles in front of him in the 4-1-4-1, I understand why you've done that. You've got these tools that are not great, and you're trying to protect them. You're trying to put a system in place that's going to damage limitation and minimise the damage. But we're starting to see some really shiny toys on the pitch that are good players. And once they're fit, and once they're ready... I don't want to see this the same level of flexibility. I want to see a lot more bravery, a lot more courage, and a lot more we're Arsenal, we're come to play. That time is only around the corner. It, and it needs it, it's only around the corner. It's all about availability to those players. And if he doesn't do that, I think it's going to be open to criticism, regardless of where he finishes. Because the next step of Arsenal is, along with Chelsea, we're the two younger developing teams Liverpool and Man City teams are are starting to get a little bit older. They're at their absolute peak. And Chelsea and Arsenal are the ones that are building the team below the team. Within the next 18 months, two years, they need to be very close to that top two, the pair of them. And it's a race between us and we can develop players quicker than they can. And I think we, we may need a different manager to take us around the, to that level, which I'm absolutely fine with. We need, may need a different manager to take us to the next step. So regardless of top four or not, unless he has the courage to play, to be consistent, to be more consistent, to get the best tools he has in the best system more often, that could be his downfall. So that's going to be one to watch for the rest of the season. Yeah, look, I, I got to ask you, though, Clive. I mean, I, I think it is really hard for me. So, look. This game is a very unique situation, and I think it can be sort of quarantined and isolated, but I do think that I have a concern that this idea that you don't need a base system from which you pivot game to game, that you can be playing different formations and different tactical approaches and different groups of players weekend in and weekend out, I don't I don't think it works, and I certainly don't think it's good for the development of young players. I think they, more than anything, the Willocks and the Ganduzis and the Pepes and the Terreras, who, let's not forget, is still a young player, and eventually the Holdings and certainly Bellerin and Tierney. Like, I think you're going to want to have a base, a base tactical philosophy that, that is drilled week in and week out in practice that you put on the pitch, especially against the bottom 14? And do you vary it a little against the top six because you have to, because you can't always play your football? I think you do. 
Uh, I'm just not convinced that at this point, Emery has established that he can find the team that works and a system that suits them and drill it into them and then pivot around that. Use his natural instincts for for in-game tactics and and game-by-game management to pivot from that. He's got the pivot down. I don't think he has the base down. I mean, am I being hysterical in in viewing it that way? That is that is one of my big deep concerns and that in particular the base system is not one that that allows us to put the stress on the opposition that we do not put the smaller teams under enough pressure regularly enough and that, that we take too much stress on ourselves. So before we just move on and start to wrap up on a few points, I mean, do you sweepingly dismiss that that take on our on our coach or do you think that there's some truth to that? I think there is some truth to it. I don't ag- I don't agree with the smaller teams right to me longer. I think we've got better players. I think we will lay it on those teams this year a lot more. And I think that's gonna that's where you're gonna see the bigger improvement. I feel a lot more confident in those games. I don't worry about Wolves and Leicester and West Ham and, and Brighton. I, I don't worry about those games any longer. I think we've got much better talent. It's it's more ready to play in the league. I, I've got no worries about that on, on those occasions any any longer. I think this game and the City game are the two that are the most testing games. The other games, we're going to be very competitive within. You know, we're going to be you know, we're going to be fine against Manchester United. We're going to be fine against Spurs. We're going to be fine against Chelsea. We really are, right? So, and it, this is a very, very testing game about a team that are the European champions, the Super League, um, the Super Cup winners, they are on the crest of their wave. They're on the crest of their wave. And I thought we did okay. I didn't feel humiliated. I was a bit concerned at 3-0. But um, I didn't feel humiliated. I felt the team worked hard to the end. The, the commentary we had in the UK, we had Gary Neville, the, the England player. And I thought he did a decent job of recognising the changes in Arsenal. You didn't think it was change. a little condescending, just sort of the pat on the head for, you know, being competitive? Well, what I think he what he wanted to say was, come away from here without too many deep scars. This is a big goal. It's not a big goal because we're going to get back into the game. It's a big goal because I know Liverpool stepped back into their, into their shape late in games, but it's a big goal because we didn't get blown off the pitch. We got blown off the pitch for maybe 15, 20 minutes. That was it. You know, that was it. And some of that was all down to David Luiz and the situation he put himself into. If he wasn't on the book, he needed a smash shadow at the halfway line. It would be the free kick. It would have been fine. It was the penalty. It was a real turning point. A real turning point. I just don't know where that came from. That is classic Arsenal derailing. We do this all the time. Why do we do this? I just can't explain it. He just come out of nowhere. We're all watching the game. Bang, shirt pull, penalty, game over. It's just like, where does that come from? You know, Xhaka, the Swiss captain, unlucky. Shins were out. We don't defend the corner. They get a header. Leno waves it in. 1-0. It's just just too easy. We have to fix that. we just got to be better to give ourselves a chance to hurt teams. We're just not doing that. And we just keep playing on that narrative. I I, I don't... Obviously, Spurs is big, Elliot. Obviously, it's big. It's always big. But... I don't think this is the same team as last year, so I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to let you have the same narrative around smaller teams, etc. I do think there's a level of courage Emery has to show, and that 
point where he has no excuses but to show it, it's really around the corner within the next two to three months because everyone will be fit, hopefully, particularly at fullback areas. You've got rotation options. You've got young players that are able to play. You've got superstar talent at the top end of the pitch. You've got experienced centre-backs. And you've got developing talent in centre midfield. So I expect you to finish in top four without a doubt. It's not even a debate. We need to be there. It's whether we finish fourth or third for me, mm. because that, that's where we are. Well, I will say this. Whatever you think of Emery, and look, I've been more of an Emery skeptic, but I'm not saying I hate the guy's got to go. I, I, I'm just sort of waiting to see some of the signs of things that have worried me. But this, this much I will say. Last season, you could argue that he was saddled with a bit of a weak and balanced team and that he, the collapse aside, and it was a really bad one, and what happened in Baku was really bad, that you say, you know what? He needs a window to strengthen the team, and then you can really evaluate. Well, he got it. And this is a team that should be finishing in the top four, if not the top three. It is as good as Spurs, in my view, with, without Erickson. If you disagree, fine. It is better than United and Chelsea, in my view. And if he can't be a better manager than Frank Lampard and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer with a better squad, then I think he goes. I, I, I don't think there's an excuse. I think top four has to be the mark this season, and I think you have every right to judge him if he doesn't hit it. Is that fair? That is very fair. And actually, I'll take it one step further. I think unless he starts to show later in the season a style and a way of playing. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if he doesn't do that later in the year, when on all the, say we go again in January, for example, I don't think it's just down to results. I think he could finish third and still go. Do you think the ruthlessness is there now? I mean, do you think watching what Raul did this summer and the aggressiveness and with Edu coming in, do you think that, you know, in the past, and granted, staying with Arsene Wenger is a little different. You're talking about a generational manager. But do, do you think that they have the ruthlessness to pull the trigger if they don't see the project coming together? I've always felt this was a two-year project. Two plus, Susie signed a two-plus-one contract. I felt it's his two years. So, so within two years, he's got to get the Champions League. That's it. But what does that mean? Will he get another year? You know, just roll on the option for another year, depending on how it happens and how, how we look. If we look good and we end up in third or fourth, then, you know what? They may say, you know what? We're going to extend it for another year. Right? Do you see what I mean? Take up the option on you and go for the third year. I really feel the next phase of Arsenal is moving more backward towards a philosophy type coach I've I was always very comfortable with Emery and I still am for this phase of our development the next phase needs to be a much more consistent philosophy yeah is Emery the man to deliver that I'm not sure Elliot and I should be more sure about that after 15 16 months in still not sure what he is if he yeah. is the man yeah, well, but that's okay. That's okay. That's well, okay. also I'm the okay team because he didn't necessarily have the team. Now he does. Look, I want to say one thing too. You know, people get upset when you use stats too much, and I understand that. You know, and and you say, oh, well, you know, okay, we got outshot eighteen to seven, or we we outshot them thirteen to twelve. We don't take enough shots. We concede too many shots, and people say, you know, that doesn't matter. It's the quality of them. Yada yada. Here's what I will say. You know, people focus on our mistakes like we're the only ones that make mistakes. People say, oh, well, you know, if Pepe takes that chance instead of hitting it right at the keeper, it's a different game. If Aubameyang hits an open net instead of missing the the left post, it's a different game. Here's the point. The winning team does that too. You just forget they did it because they won. Sadio Mane gets the ball from that bad Ceballos pass right in the dead center of the box with an open shot on Leno and hits it right at the keeper. You forget that because they won. 
the reality of taking more shots, of creating more pressure, of being a protagonist, for lack of a better word, is you can survive the mistakes a little better. You're going to miss open goals. You're going to shoot at the keeper from one-on-ones. That is going to happen. That's why XG rates those things as like 0.6 and not 1.0, because you are going to miss them. Sadio Mane, who is one of the best finishers in the world right now, missed one that he puts away nine times out of 10. But again, when you have the 20 shots or whatever it winds up being, you don't remember the misses as much. You they, they flatten out. So, you know, I think the style has to get us more chances and put the opposition under more pressure because you are going to miss some open goals and you are going to miss some chances and you are going to, to make a few errors. And if you make those errors, you have to be able to survive them by dominating the football match. We'll, we'll finish with a couple of things really quickly. One is just the lateness to swap. I mean, if I had any criticism of Emery, I, in a second viewing, I'm less critical of the plan. I am more critical of the response. Um, why does Aubameyang come on so late? What is, what is the thought process I there? I don't, I don't get it. Help me, help me understand things. Oh, that sorry. I don't understand. So, yeah, I, 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 I don't. I um. He was. I mean, I, I here's a halftime sub manager who doesn't change it. Sorry, go ahead. My bad. I, I don't. I don't get why Lacazette um just came on that late. Um, I felt if I was him, I would have been a bit cheesed off. I would have been a bit cheesed off coming on at three 0 away at Anfield. I think um, with nine minutes to play in the game, it just so it's yeah. so weird. I mean, that's just that's disrespecting a senior pro. Yeah, really and he is. was pissed. He was pissed. Yeah. Have you seen the social media post? I mean, let's do this. Let's let's get on to dumb stuff, and then we'll come back to serious stuff. So Aubameyang was doing a Q&A on uh, Instagram, and he was asked, why doesn't Lacazette start? And he said, good question. And then someone said Lacazette should start, and Lacazette liked the post. Is there trouble in paradise there? I mean, this is a bromance. They love each other. Is there a possibility that they start to love each well, other at the expense of the coach? I think, I, I think they spark off each other. I, I felt Aubameyang was quite surly in this game. He, he has was, games. Yes, he was. He has games. When I see him smiling, I know it's all over for the opposition. But he wasn't smiling. He looked surly. And I've seen this before when he gets emotionally disconnected from the game. And when he gets disconnected from the game emotionally, he's still a decent player. Obviously, he's a world-class player. But I don't trust him the same way to score. He's someone that needs to be happy on the pitch. It's obvious what we need to do. We have three great forwards. We've now seen them all. And we can all name what the team, the front three should look like and where they should stand. It's not difficult. And so it's coming. It's it could, um, Hopefully it happens at the Emirates at the weekend. It's coming. I feel uh, he, he had a choice. He chose... He chose Tobias rather than having Lacazette do that role. In hindsight, I think Lacazette could have given us a, an exit plan that you were talking about. He he would show for the ball. He would attract people. I think I would have liked to have seen it for longer. Maybe at halftime to say, you know what? Let's just go to the 4-3-3 at halftime. That would have been brilliant because at the end of this game, we would have learned even more. I think you learn a lot from top six games. You learn even more against the top two. And I think we would have learned a lot about our front three if we had played them for longer. However, what I will say, Spurs would have learned a lot about our front three if we played them together. They haven't seen it. for, for They haven't seen it. And so we walk into that game with a little bit of the unknown. You know, I felt Liverpool 
we we walked in there with a with a, I call a Firmino plan, but I felt Liverpool did a very good job of crushing Sabias. And why? Because the last data point, Sabias was the best midfielder in the world for for an hour and a bit. You know. Let me correct and you. Here, here's how it works: a- any player we do a, a spotlight pod on instantly becomes the worst player in football the next game. That's how that works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we and, and if you're watching the video of the last game, what are you going to do to Arsenal? You're going to step on him aren't you straight away you know and again hindsight's a great thing right so we so biases learn a lot about going away in the premiership what happens to you that's in the bank for him now that's his first away game of any sort of real stature that's in the bank for him and he will learn from that and we will we will not see him disconnected we will not see him in the wrong edge of the pitch hopefully next time but you need to learn you need to get something from a player point of view, I think we learn. From a system point of view, I think we learn. From a, a looking for potential of a front three, that's obvious. That's obvious. That's coming. That's that's so exciting. You know, it could be transformative. And I think we just got to find the right balance in the centre of the park. I think Torreira's in that. I think Guendouzi's in that. And it's what we do with the other player. And the change in the guards happening with um, with Shaka, I'm afraid. Probably not just yet. But it's happening, and this team eventually, when it grows up, is going to develop past him. I'm just not sure when that period is. It's probably not yet, even well, though a part of me says it's not too far away. So let's finish with just some quick hits. There is is one of the sort of quiet, secret little positives about this game. I mean, Pepe is the big one, and oh fuck, I'm so excited to watch that player this season. Um, is one of the the little positives Torreira's cameo. I mean. He looks good. I, I I don't know if Emery just doesn't trust him or he just wanted to integrate him a little more, give him more time to get ready, but this looks like a player who needs to be in there. We forget how young he is. He can have a bright future at Arsenal in a really young and exciting midfield that includes players like Willock and Ganduzi. Does he now have to just trust Torreira, and, and, and is this a reminder that he can really do it at both ends? Yeah, I think he's a player that really encapsulates the spirit of of, of Emery's team. I I said last year he's the most trans he was the most transformative player for me. I felt he transformed the midfield. He just wins the ball when people least expect it, and that opens us up. That opens us up to a different game. You know, no one else was creating transition tackles. No one was. You know, he I don't know how many made in the game, but he took he takes the ball from people, he presses people, he sneaks up on people, he robs people, he moves it, he can play with the ball at feet. For me, once he gets into shape, he's never coming out. He's only coming out to rest. You know, I think he's I think he's that good, I really do. And I don't care, we gotta find a spot for him. I don't care who sits, but he plays. He plays because he 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 rips up the coaching manuals because he takes he takes the ball away from you, and that is all about transition. And we have got a transition set. We have got transition forwards. We really have. If we can get a situation where you've got Lacazette, Torreira stealing the ball, and we are transitioning to break away broken field forwards, we're in a really good place. We really are. I just it's you know we're just going to have to find a situation where. Tobias sits, Quenduzi uh, sits, Willock will have time on the sidelines. We're not talking about idiot players any longer. We're not talking about El Nenny's in there anymore. They're, they're, going, they're going to go. We're not talking about Lichtsteiners anymore. They're gone. We, these bodies have gone. Right? So there's a new team developing. He's just got to pick the right ones at the right moment. So at the weekend now, you know, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. For me, Torreira starts without a doubt. It's going to be a battle he has to start. I think 
could start for a home game and maybe should start. I think Gwendozi may sit this one at the start and Shaka will probably play because uh, I, I think Emery likes to see... So he likes to him. see... He is, and it's, it's, it's not far away, Elliot. It's not far away. It isn't. But it's still incredibly young midfield. Mm. You know, it's incredibly young midfield. And you feel that on occasions, the youthfulness, the decision-making. I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, come on, Clive, man. Say it, say it. Shaka needs to go. Yes, he does. But we haven't got mm. that other player there yet with the relevant experience and the power and the weight that we need to hold a centre midfield. We haven't got it. And Shaka was still top passer in the game. So he's not a fool. Right? He had made the most passes in this game. That means he has created the angles to receive the pass, to move the ball. Yeah. We all want more from mm. him, but he still has those those numbers behind him. Yeah. All right. Well, look, let's leave it there. I, I think we've got a lot coming up because you and I are going to rewatch the first half tomorrow and, and go through that minute by minute. And I think we'll see some interesting Shaka stuff and Maitland yeah, Niles no, stuff. I'm looking I'm, at. I'm yeah, that's going to be really I'm so really up fun. for that. We'll call it Clive's Clicker. Clive's Clicker. We'll get out the clicker. We'll watch the tape. Clive can break down the tape, do what he does. He's, he's a professional coach now, so he can do some coaching. And then on Wednesday, the Schadenfreude pod with, with me and, and Paz. So those two will be um, Patreon pods, but we will have a. a uh, North London Derby preview pod that will be for everyone. So that that's great. And then uh, Tim's match day travelogue is is up as a video uh, on Patreon as well. By the way, in the Discord chat, again, not to go on and on about this stuff. If it's not for you, tune it out. No big deal. But over on the Discord, Giant Gooner does a, a stats review of every game with tons of graphics and visualizations that are really, I mean, really, really quality stuff to look at and, and dive into if you like that sort of thing. My hope is that we provide a little something for everybody. We even have a uh, FPL league going on over there. So, you know, hopefully you're you're feeling like uh, you're enjoying what we're doing, even if it's not always about a game that was our favorite and, and you know, onward and upward from here as we dominate the North London Derby on our way to winning the title. The good news is with uh, United and Spurs losing at home to terrible teams, the table still looks pretty good, and it can look even better going into a way too early international break after the Derby. So lots of good stuff to do this week, hopefully some good stuff this weekend, and then, yuck, international break. But we'll keep it busy. In any event, Paul, Paul, Paul's gone. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. You bet. Uh, my name's Alex Smith, the Black Man Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review right now. Say things about Tim, as always. Uh, Scott will be back on a future pod as well. And if you would be so kind, if you have any thoughts of signing up for The Athletic and you want it for two fifty a month, which is really nothing, like a cup of coffee, uh, do it at theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. Forward slash Arsenal Vision. You help the pod, you help them, and we will be getting athletic journalists to come on the pod and talk to us about the stuff they're writing and the stuff they're hearing around Arsenal. So I think that should be awesome for everybody. In any event, look, we love you. We really do appreciate you for being here through thick and thin. That's the whole that's the whole thing. We stick together as gooners and we love each other and we support each other and we support the club. So let's continue to do that. We will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Spurs nil. <laughs> <laughs>